Welcome to Improv Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed a whole bunch of different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv one piece at a time. This is episode 16, House Teams. A house team is a team created by a theater to perform regularly at that theater. Although indie teams are created by the people on the team and perform at many different theaters, independently of a specific theater, house teams exist at the discretion of the artistic director of the theater, who may remove or add performers or disband the entire team as necessary. Here at UCB New York, there are essentially three levels of improv house teams. The first level is Lloyd, which is a one-year program. Six Lloyd teams of eight people each perform the Herald, with a pattern game opening every other week. Three one week, then three the other. Lloyd night is Wednesdays at UCB East Village, and Lloyd is the first house team that most UCB performers start on. After a year, a performer may be put on a new Lloyd team, not put on any new team, in other words, cut as a performer, or may be moved up to a Herald team. Herald teams perform on Tuesdays, formerly at UCB Chelsea, now at UCB Hell's Kitchen, and do the Herald form, but with any opening they wish. After a year, a Herald team may be disbanded, or it may continue as a team. Finally, there are weekend teams, which perform at either theater on the weekend. Some of these teams are Herald teams that were moved, others were specifically created as teams for veteran performers. This is a long episode. I wanted to get a little bit of every part of being on a house team and about the different levels of house teams here at UCB. Being on a house team can be incredible. You have a guaranteed show, and here in New York City, it's a show that consistently sells out, which means you don't have to spend time advertising it as you would for a self-produced show or other indie show. You regularly get to perform with some of the best performers at the theater, and it bumps you up for coaching. More people are seeing you perform... So they're more likely to ask you to coach, and you can often coach other house teams, which is an entirely different experience from coaching indie teams or beginning students. That's all incredible. But it can also be tough. You don't have complete control. Ultimately, it's up to the artistic director of the theater to determine whether you continue to perform there or not. That can add some pressure, and the first part of this episode is all about Lloyd Night, which is where people feel that pressure most. You also don't get to choose whom you perform with. You may get lucky and perform with people who become your closest friends, or you may spend nights complaining about having to do yet another show with that one guy you can't stand. It also takes money and time, money for coaches and rehearsal spaces, and time for practices and shows. So, there's trade-offs. Let's start with a little about the process of creating a team. Kevin Mullaney was the artistic director at UCB for several years, as well as being the AD for the Chicago Improv Festival and the director of many different shows. So I asked Kevin about how he builds a team. Let's start by talking about like making teams and creating teams. What's your process behind that? What do you think makes a good team and what do you look for either when you're constructing team or back from like teams you've been on? Well, I think it's changed quite a bit mm-hmm. over the years. I think... Boy, that's a rough question because there's there's so many different ways to attack it. I mean, usually you start by just putting people in buckets mm-hmm. when you audition them. You know, and there's the yes bucket, there's the no bucket, and there's the maybe bucket. And the maybe bucket is almost always no, no, but I like them. Right. <laughs> you know, no, but I could see saying yes at a different time or a different for a different project. And then the yeses, it's 
I mean, right now, I think it's a matter of, when I've done it, it's, a, it's often a matter of like making sure that the cast of whatever I'm casting is, has, is as diverse as it can be, and, and really uh, that it's not just five guys like me, which is surprisingly hard to fight against sometimes. Right. Um, this last project that I've been working on, you know, it started, a friend of mine brought this idea to me, and then we had open auditions, and he was going to be in the cast, and I was going to be the director. We had these open auditions, and right away, two people signed up for the auditions, also guys that, that are friends of ours, and we knew immediately we're going to take those guys. So now we're three out of nine people, right. and they're all, and they're very similar kinds of people with very similar kinds of background, and, uh, and it makes it that much harder to, to make it make sure that we've, we've got a real balance. I mean, I think you need some balance in other ways as well of just, you know, you want people who are play differently mm-hmm. on some level. Some people who are great at sort of generating characters and making sort of instigating chaos in, yeah. the, in the show and other people who are good at making sense of that. It's more right now, it's like trying to figure out, like, how do you get people to come to the audition? I, I got very spoiled when we were running auditions at UCB especially, even even the first few auditions we had hundreds of people, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get right. plenty of people and plenty of, you know, for the most part, plenty of people that represent different kinds of improvisers, and you should have a wealth of people to draw on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in other projects, not as much, you know. Sometimes it's like you just get enough people, you know. Sometimes you, you run auditions, and if you don't know the person well, they can be, there's something about them that might be really charismatic or just feels right on stage you just want to watch them on stage and you don't know that much else about them um, it's not again it's a different process usually than than what I've experienced at UCB where we when we were auditioning people we kind of knew them pretty well mm-hmm. the people who were auditioning so I have had the experience of auditioning people and and bringing them in and they they still are they're like these people who are very charismatic or very interesting to watch on stage, very pleasing from a crowd perspective, and yet they're difficult to work with, not because they're an, a bad person, but because maybe they, they just make chaotic choices that mm-hmm. other people are having trouble making sense of. It's a different experience also because at UCB you have this philosophy that's underpinning everything, right. or at least or, or consistent training that's underpinning everything. So it's much easier to sort of walk into rehearsal and go, okay, we're going to rehearse this, and everybody knows what it is you're rehearsing. Mm-hmm. The projects I've been doing in, in Chicago over the last five years, people are from all over the place, and they have, often they're extremely good improvisers, but they have a different vocabulary and a different expectation of what they're wanting to do. So that, that can be hard, but it's also really exciting. I mean, one of the things that I found really different than it was 15, 20 years ago is that you know, someone who moves to Chicago, for instance, Probably the same thing is happening all the time in New York as well. Somebody who moves to Chicago and they have five or sometimes ten years experience doing improv and it's really solid experience. It's not just like they did, you know, so, some bar prov equivalent show for, right. for you know, and, and dicked around for ten years. They, they actually know what they're doing and it's really nice to find those people, especially before they've you know, because just like in New York, probably it, it takes time before people recognize that those people have talent or they have skills, and it's really nice to sort of snap them up before other people realize how good they are. <laughs> that was Kevin Mullaney. Up next is Ray Cordova. 
I recorded this interview in last April 2017, shortly after new Lloyd teams were created. The diversity part is interesting with how much it feels like the community has changed over the past like five years. And yes. I don't know how much that is representative at the higher levels. Right. And obviously there's that, but like the jams feels like the same thing of yeah. this is fundamentally different than like, especially when we started, yeah. but even like five years ago. Yeah. It was a huge difference. Um, I feel like I tell the story a million times. So if you've heard me on one one podcast, I apologize. But, uh, you know, when I, when I first was a part of the diversity program, when it first started up, there were like 20 of us, mm-hmm. and they gave 16 of us four credits. Right. And like now there's like four or 500 people, and you get like one credit. You get like one credit. And right. like if you take it quickly, they'll give you like kind of like a take one, get one for free kind of thing. But yeah, they only give it out twice a year. Back then it was just like there was no one around. They're like, yeah, here, you guys can. I, I didn't even apply for the right. first season. A teacher recommended me for it. I wasn't, didn't even apply for the first one. So it's just funny how times have changed. Now it's like very competitive. We just went in like for an in-person interview with Eric Tenoy. Now it's like an essay and like a questionnaire, and it's a whole process. Right. It's great, though. I've actually had a couple of friends... I feel like in my mind, not as a competition, but in my mind, I feel like I brought the most diverse students to like <laughs> It's 100% of, a competition. Out of, other, out of other performers. I mean, I have a lot of friends. Well, I'm also from here. So that's yeah. easier for me. I have friends yeah. and family who are still in New York. I get them to come to the show, and they come for a while, and then they're like, oh, I want to do that. I'm like, do it. They're like, oh, I don't know. And I got to keep kind of finagling. But yeah. When I got on Lloyd, my dad's text to me was, first he texted, congratulations. Great. And then he texted, I noticed you're one of the only people of color on your team. Which, because he's half Korean, and so I'm like a quarter Korean. Oh, but that's so funny. Who said, like, if the comment to me is, you're one of the only people of color on your team, and two other people on Hotspur were also mixed race. Yeah, yeah. Marbley and, and Clara. We were the most diverse team on right. Lloyd Night, and it was, we were most diverse in that we had three, like, mixed race, but apparently white people. Right, and, right. Like, that's how, that's the... Way in which UCB has changed is that at one point that was the best we had. Yeah, it was like that, and then another team had Jesse Lee, and one other had right. Sean right. Justin. Right, like, that was it. That, that was, was it. all the diversity. Yeah, and and, and and like you'd have to know that exactly. Like if an audience member, you'd only know like people who look more diverse. Yes, like I remember when I started, I remember just being like Sean Distin and Corey Brown. Yeah, that was pretty much it. <laughs> and, uh, obviously, it progressed a lot, but it is like I always say. Better doesn't mean good. Sure. But I think we've just we've made so many leaps and bounds. Which and, and if anyone who looks at UCB now and goes, they're not diverse enough, well sorry to tell you, we've made leaps and bounds of accomplishments and diversity from years ago. From as little as like every year the programs the diversity program gets bigger and bigger. I feel like the theater happens to add more people of color. Right. I will say this is the first year I not a first year, but I don't think any men of color got added to Lloyd mm-hmm. Knight. But uh, a few black women, a few Asian people, mm-hmm. a few Latinos. And so like it's just like every year you see more and more, or every season you see more and more people getting added to the theater, which is great. And I always tell people, like, even if you don't, you know, just to be in the program and just to be a part of the, the culture yeah. is really, like, it's grand, so to say. It's like just yeah. be in it and, like, you just take the tools. I mean, people get their minds warped in, like, being on a house team. And they get like this tunnel vision. It's all they see. And if they don't get it, they think they failed. Mm-hmm. Or they think the, the theater failed them. And it's like, honestly, it's like being a performance the, the, is great. It's an amazing feeling. But it's literally the cherry on top. And it's like if you went to an ice cream shop, you wouldn't pay 10 bucks for a triple scoop Just banana split. <laughs> Just right, give me a bowl of cherries, please. You know what I mean? So it's like, and obviously it's easier if you've been a performer to say that. But, like, just going through it all, like, if I could choose a team being on, like, a weekend team or Harold Night mm-hmm. or the people that I've made countless sketches with 
and written things with, I would choose the latter. Yeah. You know? That was Ray Cordova. Diversity can mean diversity in terms of representation, and this is what we generally think of as diversity. It's the kind of diversity that's easy to point to. I'm using the word representation here because it allows people watching your show to see, hey, there's someone that is in some way representative of my experience. Diversity, however, isn't always apparent. There's queer or trans performers, performers who may present as white but are mixed race or Hispanic, so on and so on. There's so many different points to make here, and my perspective is just one, and it's a fairly privileged one as a cis-het man who presents as white. But no performer wants to feel as if she is the spokesperson for diversity on a team. To be the only, for instance, non-white person on a team of people who are or present as white. That's an unfair burden to put on a performer who is already doing something nearly impossible. Improv comedy. It can create an unnecessary and incorrect fear that they're only there so it can be said, hey, look, our team is diverse. So don't let diversity be a band-aid. It's not something that can be fixed with small, meager changes to teams. So why is this important to you, a person who most likely will never be the person behind the desk creating a house team? Because diversity in house teams only happens if there's diversity in classes and in practice groups and in indie teams. Diversity in classes can happen in many ways, but it requires some sort of outreach on the part of the theater and the community, bringing in new people who then get to find out whether they love improv as much as you do. But I want to focus on diversity in practice groups and indie teams. The people who are ready to be on house teams are, for the most part, the people who got reps in. The people who have done shows, who've had practice groups, who were welcomed and celebrated and had time to become better performers. Ray mentioned being proud of bringing in new people because, I mean, fuck yeah, of course he is. He should be proud of that. It's incredible. It's, and it's something he actively does. And it's something that has to be actively done. There's an inertia that we're fighting to keep the improv community from being just the privileged people. And that privilege can mean a bunch of different things. But if the people chosen to be on a house team don't represent the community as a whole, and here I mean not just the improv community, but the community, all the people who live in your city, then that's a failure. It's a failure of the theater, but it's also a failure of that theater's improv community. If the indie teams aren't diverse, if people are only making practice groups with people exactly like them, then there's a problem. It's going to create a bottleneck that's going to keep talent from being there and being ready when house teams are made. Representation on house teams is important because it tells people doing improv or starting improv, there will be a space for you here when you're ready. Diversity on indie teams and practice groups tells people doing improv, hey, there is space for you here while you get ready. It's something that'll take work on every level until it becomes the norm. It's not necessarily fun to do, and it might feel weird to do. But fuck it. Do it. If you look around and see that there are people who you think are funny who aren't being invited to practice groups, bring them in. I'm going to do much shorter interstitial parts between most of the rest of the interviews for this episode. So let's talk about Lloyd Knight. Here's Liz Noth. She and I were on our first Lloyd team together, Hotspur, and she's now coached several Lloyd teams. So I asked her about the transition from Indy to Lloyd. 
What is something that you have noticed in Lloyd teams that indie teams should do? I mean, I just got to coach like the best Lloyd team ever last year. I feel like Mm -hmm. they were so wonderful and everybody had, I think there's this confidence that comes from getting put on a team and sometimes that shows it can counteract and you can have a huge lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. So I don't think this goes across the board as being true, but like when we both got on a team together, there was like this huge little burst of confidence Yeah, and we were all so excited to be on a team together. Yeah. I think the stamp of approval that an an institution giving you a stamp of approval and giving the people around you that gives you this kind of trust that their improv is worthwhile. Yeah. Where like you don't really have to – I guess the advice I would give is you don't have to wait for anyone's stamp to appreciate the people that you're playing with. Yeah. Like there was a part of me that was like dazzled by everybody on Hotspur because – Hotspur. Because um, I felt like, wow, like they are so good because somebody said so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they are they were and yes. are really Oh, good. absolutely. But but you don't really have to wait for that. Like this this Lloyd team I coached last year just really really all celebrated each other. And mm-hmm. there was like no exceptions. Everybody thought everybody else was funny. Mm-hmm. This was Barrymore? This is Barrymore. Yeah. There was just like a huge appreciation for other people's talent on the yeah. team and a desire to work with them. A, yeah. des- a desire to like work with each other. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is very much kind of like what I think Lloyd teams need to keep stealing from indie teams of that feeling of like yeah. being so supportive of like, oh, we get to do this together. Yeah. I like what you said about that kind of like the stamp of approval because you mm. I feel like you do see it, especially in like jams or kaleidoscope or telephone show type things where it's a mix of people, even if you don't know who is a house team performer at whatever theater. Sometimes I feel like it's just very obvious just because it's like, oh, that person is confident enough to be in a scene and listen, react, and like not throw huge pitches out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I remember recently like Nicole Draspel saying something like, um, like sometimes people just know how to say something like it's a joke mm-hmm. or just like deliver a line like as a laugh line. Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah. There's people who are on teams who just can – they just know how to do that. Yeah. There's people who are not on teams who know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But either way, that's something that, yeah, everybody should have that. I mean, that's why we're doing this. What's something that you think Lloyd teams need to do more of or steal from Herald teams? Be in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, really, really hard, especially with this, like, you know, the setup is like it's a visa program or whatever, you know, like that it's a year. You have this sort of Damocles over your head for a year. Yes. Like, uh, it could get cut at any moment or at that end. Yeah, and, and I you know, totally understand how just anxiety producing that can be. Did you feel that when when we were on Lloyd? Yeah, in that first year, for sure. I mean, I remember I I got an email from the artistic director at the Mm -hmm. time, Nate, and he was just like, he was like, you're great. And you need to show up more Mm -hmm. to shows. He was like, you're really good at game. Yeah. And you need to act like it. I was like, oh, crap. Because I I knew that I wasn't showing up at shows as much as I wanted to. But I will say the other side of that is, and I mean, like, I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, but like Anthony uh, Prusi and I, who were also in Hotspur with you, we would have conversations after shows sometimes about like, did we listen to Liz? And the, it was like, that was our division of good show, bad show. Oh my gosh. Was, 
I, yeah. But it felt like team-wide, if the team wasn't listening enough to notice, I think especially because it was a very, like, pushy, out-there team, mm-hmm. if we weren't listening to you, we weren't listening to each other. And I think it became more apparent when we weren't listening to you, especially because you were often making the perfect or, like, a great move to tie things together. And so I think there's both sides of that, of both you taking up the space, but from my perspective, it was we weren't giving, we weren't listening to the space that you were taking. We were pushing back against that. Well, that's, I mean, that's, it's flattering. And it's also, but it's also, you know, it's true. Everybody should be listened to. You should be guided by, you know, every player on the stage for sure. Um, But I, and I just sort of feel that I, I had a a lack of confidence Mm -hmm. in that first year, which in my second year of Lloyd was just so, it was so different um, because I didn't care as much about proving myself. And I felt so much more relaxed and I debatably was on a less successful team. Mm -hmm. I mean, Boombox was my second Lloyd team and we were just full of like some of my closest friends mm-hmm. and best like collaborators on that team but we never like had this crazy chemistry on stage that I feel like Hotspur did have yeah. this like kind of weird and exciting chemistry together but on that team my second year of Lloyd was just such a like blessing yeah. because I was able to relax and be in the moment and not worry so much about proving myself to other people so I guess the the note that I would give or the advice that I would give to Lloyd Knight I mean if I could go back to that first year would just be to try to forget about those stakes or Mm -hmm. try to ignore them or um, find the value for you it's about like how is this creatively going to serve you and how can you be a member of an ensemble how can you everybody on your team excited to step out with you um, because they know they're going to be just supported like crazy. Mm-hmm. And how can you like, yeah, make everybody feel heard? Because that'll take you, if you're looking for a way to get outside of that expectations of like what the artistic director's expectations are on you or whether or not you're going to get cut or whether you're going to get promoted. If you're looking for a way out of that, truly being a good member of an ensemble will free you from that. Mm-hmm. Truly listening to people and treating other people's ideas as if they're gold and thinking about how best you can serve the team will completely take you out of that like cycle of does mommy like me? Right. You know what I mean? Like does the institution think I'm cool or interesting, Mm -hmm. which is so hard to escape from. It really is. And I'm a total hypocrite. Obviously, I worry about this same stuff, too. I think it's those things that we worry about, though, that we are most then, like, attuned to and, like, able to change in others. So, like, when Mm. you're coaching, coaching Barrymore or or any Lloyd team, how does your experience of, like, especially finding your voice and being more comfortable, how do you try to instill that into teams that you coach, Lloyd teams that you coach? The better the improviser, the less personal notes that I give. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe that I don't know if that's true across the board, but especially in those situations, I'll give like an ensemble based note over personal note of what somebody can do better, because a lot of people are fixating on what they can do better and how they can be better so that they can be promoted or so Mm -hmm. that they don't aren't overlooked or cut. Because that's the note I needed at the time, which is like, how can I serve this ensemble? And maybe the answer to that is like, I need to be more aggressive. You know, it's confusing. It's like the answer could be like, I need to make my voice heard more. Or, you know, I need to make sure that this person who always initiates the first group game and is never in a beat gets Mm -hmm. in a dang beat, Mm -hmm. you know? But just by changing your focus of uh, whom you're giving notes to, by you giving notes to the team, Mm -hmm. I like that kind of like subtle redirective 
we're now all thinking of that. Yeah. And emphasizing like sort of full circle to what we initially talked about, which is like group ownership, Mm -hmm. like emphasizing that in a Lloyd team is huge. That's like the difference between a good Lloyd team and a bad Lloyd team Yeah, is whether or not those second beats feel like it's the whole team's effort or not, I think. Yeah. That was Liz Noth. This part of the episode is all about Lloyd, which means it's really all about fear and getting over it. Here's Lindsay Calloran. What advice would you give somebody who just got on Lloyd? <sighs> How do I be diplomatic? I mean, it's like just a different time now than it was when I got on Lloyd, and it's much harder. So I feel bad in a lot of ways. I know that's horrible. Wait, harder in what ways? The fact that like there haven't been cuts on Harold Knight in four years, and Lloyd gets torn apart every mm-hmm. year. You know, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like hard. I mean, I I think you're even more in your head now than you used to be. Like, you know that there's everybody knew that the chances of your team ever moving up were incredibly small, but at least there was a chance, you know, that's gone. The stage is small. It's like, it's hard. It's really hard. Lloyd is not easy. It was never easy, but I think it's harder now. So your advice is (laughs) it's hard. (laughs) I know that sounds so bad. No, but it it makes sense. Like, I think... It's worth acknowledging that aspect of being any part on a house team, but especially. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really hard. And first of all, let me focus and say like, okay, what is tangible advice to somebody on Lloyd Knight? Tangible advice, if you just got on Lloyd Knight, it is try to enjoy the people you're playing with. I think like a team that is joyful and enjoys each other's company will always be a better team, whether it's on Lloyd Knight or Harold Knight. I guess that's, I guess, proven not always true. I guess like sometimes people are like, we had great chemistry as a team, but then our Harold sucked or whatever. But I, I think especially with Lloyd Knight, there's so much pressure yeah. that the more you can trust each other um, and rely on each other, probably the better. The more likely you are to have the better shows. The more likely shows, you yeah. are to have better shows. I can only speak from my own personal experience, but I really think like put work into your nerves. Like put were actual human work into how nervous you get if you get nervous which I mean god who is on Lloyd Knight that's not getting nervous I mean I can't imagine I'm sure there's somebody out there who's like super fucking cool and never gets nervous but I think the majority of people get really nervous um, so put actual effort into that because it makes a huge difference don't let yourself get in your own way don't let self-criticism and self-doubt get in your own way don't spend any time and waste time visualizing shit going bad try to visualize it going good that goes back to how much I love positive visualization. Because I do think that that stuff doesn't ever get mentioned. People are like, practice harder, read the manual, like get more reps, go to extra practice groups. And like, I really have a strong belief that it's just we get in our own way too much. Like that's the biggest problem. So I think like put work into I mean, that's the advice I would give a friend. I think on like a public platform, it sounds crazy to be like, do a meditation tape. (laughs) Like it seems crazy on like an improv podcast to be like, but, but really download this podcast by uh, whatever. But like, that is the advice I would give a friend because it is stressful. There's like no denying that it's a very stressful experience. And I think people just get in their own way because the process of auditioning and callbacks, it's like, it's really a live wire situation. It's like incredibly frenetic and crazy. And I think people sometimes do their best work because it's so 
fucking crazy and people get on for a reason I think because they do great work in a, in a first round audition or a callback especially now like sitting in on auditions and seeing them and being on that side of it people do great work and I think trust that you got on for a reason trust that you did great work and try to not let yourself get in your way and in between that truth and how you're performing. Like you're there for a reason. Now do all the work to not convince yourself otherwise. So doing meditation podcasts was one big part of that. The, that sounds so crazy. No, I, but that's a big part that we don't discuss of like yeah. ourselves as people. And you mentioned with the Turco stuff, like everybody's starting to work out. I think that's another one of those things where it's like, it's yeah. a little bit of learning to be a person in your 20s where you kind of yeah. switch from like drinking and partying to working out. But there are all these things that are like, body mind connections of yeah. meditation well, I'm just a out. huge believer of that in general like mm-hmm. across the board I really feel like if we could get out of our own ways we were capable of anything you know we just convince ourselves that we're shitty or that things are going to go shitty or that they're not going to go the way that you wanted them to go and I really believe that with anything so especially with something that's super stressful and performative and high stakes as an improv show in front of a sold out crowd mm-hmm. I think we really spend way too much time worrying that it's going to go poorly so positive visualization is all about just visualizing the thing you're nervous about and visualizing it going well because we usually spend the natural human inclination is to do the opposite you just imagine you keep all day long imagining it going poorly and um, it then becomes much easier for that to come true because you've already conditioned yourself for that to be the case. So if you condition yourself actually to to believe that it's going to go well, um, and you, you really condition your, your mind and your body to believe that you're, you're getting ready to do something that's going to be really gratifying and wonderful and make you feel good, um, you're going into that thing with uh, many more tools for it to actually go well. You're then getting off on a much better foot. And you actually feel better all day. You don't stress yeah, all day. Yeah. You don't like spend time just being stressed out all day. Any other things that you would recommend to help deal with that nervousness or anxiety of being on a team or, or feeling yeah. Like, yeah. I used to hear people say this all the time when I was a student and I was like, well, fuck you. But now here I am saying it. I feel like UCB can be like a stressful situation that can convince you also like get off Facebook. That's one of them. (laughs) Get off of Facebook because it's the same. It's the same. It's another side of what I'm about to say, which is like UCB can really convince you that your worth is tied up in a lot of things. It's not true. It's not. It's a fabrication it's like not a real indicator of your worth and your capability is a big one or your artistry UCB is a place for you to have fun and experience the joy of improv and build a community of friends but if it's making you feel bad it's very easy for it to make you feel bad but you're not in the right relationship right. with UCB. <laughs> if, if your relationship is making you feel bad, yeah. um, fix the relationship or leave the relationship, right? So if UCB is making you feel bad or, ner- or Lloyd, if you just got on Lloyd and you're nervous, I feel like try to find parts of your artistry that make you feel good that exist outside of UCB. So I cannot recommend enough like working on personal projects that are outside of this community they will give you so much fulfillment they'll feel more real because you won't it'll come from yourself and it won't I mean you can develop a project at UCB that can be incredibly gratifying and personal and wonderful but if your current 
spot on Lloyd Knight or something is stressing you out, like reacquaint yourself with what makes you an artist and go do something that exists outside of here. Because there's some, when you get something from UCB, if you are the kind of person who maybe have an imposter syndrome moment, if you make something yourself and it's gratifying and wonderful, uh, you don't have that opportunity to have an imposter syndrome moment yeah. because you didn't trick anybody to get it, right? You just like made your own art. And I think all I've found the more that I've made films and cultivated that side of my artistry, it's made me, my relationship with UCB much deeper and m- more like symbiotic and beautiful. Um, my, my community has been part of my filmmaking and also like warm and receptive to my filmmaking. So I think work on your own stuff. Yeah. And that's, to make a long story short, that's what I always heard people say when I was a student where I would be like, fuck you. But the truth is like work on your own stuff. And maybe that is a show that runs at UCB that lives outside of Lloyd Knight and Harold Knight. Like maybe it's a, a show that runs, mm-hmm. but like do something else other that reminds you why you love to, to be creative. That was Lindsay Calloran. Here's Jesse Lee. I think Lloyd Knight has played like a really interesting role in kind of the dynamic of the house teams. Cause I feel like I remember before when it was just Harold Knight, there would always be like the new teams would be basically scared shitless, right? Yeah. Because there was just, there's this perception of like having so much pressure to perform, which it was all self-imposed, but it was just like, it's also like kind of a, a cycle that feeds itself, right? Yes. Because your first team, it was straight, it was pre-Lloyd, straight to Harold Knight. Right, yeah. And it was that. Right. It was- uh, I mean, so my first team was Monstro, and all amazing performers. Like, mm-hmm. if you put us together now, we'd be a fucking awesome team. Um, whenever we do reunion shows, they're super, they're super fun. Yeah. But at the time, I think we were just like so scared of failing, right? Because, and also at the same time, the other team that get for- that got formed was Sandino, and they're fucking crushing it. And we made it tough on ourselves to to kind of get past that and just right. do our own thing, just because like there was a lot of fear that we imposed on ourselves. Yeah. So now I think now having Lloyd Knight, in a way, it kind of quarantines the fear in its own right. in its own night. But it's also like everyone's in the same boat though, right? Yeah. You're not in the same night as like these super teams. Like Bastion was still up when we right. were a team, and like you're not coming out to an audience who's like, oh. Fuck these right. guys! I got okay. I can make it twenty five minutes of this, and then I'll get to see Bastion. Exactly right. So it's like you're on a night with like people who are all in the same boat as you, and it's easier to recognize when you're just imposing fear upon yourself. Right? Doesn't necessarily make it easier to get over, but I think like having the recognition that there's no reason to be scared because <laughs> like yeah. you know everyone's in the same boat. We're all everyone's a new team, right? Like everyone's right. kind of new at this. I, I just I think just having that makes it so much easier, and I think like having gone back through Lloyd and then to Harold again, I think rec- made it easier for me the second time around. Cause I was like, Oh, I can see why, why other teams have failed or like what, what makes a team fail or what makes a team uh, get scared. It's just like, it's a choice that you can just make for yourself not to engage with. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it's still hard to do, but it's like, once you make that recognition, like I can either like fucking dive in or I can let fear kind of cripple me and not mm-hmm. have fun with these shows or get, pissed about circumstances that are out of my control or I could just like try to have fun in the scene right yeah and I think that was a recognition that it took me a while to kind of get going through Harold getting cut coming back through Lloyd and then getting back on Harold and I think that was like a lesson that I I don't know I would have learned any other way I mean, I didn't get cut, but I was not on Lloyd until... I think we got put on Lloyd around the same time. Yeah, right. Was your first name Hotspur? Yeah. Okay. I think it like it gives you that perspective. It yeah. is. It's much more like, oh, you see then a bunch of teams cycle through, and you right. see like... 
Wow, you guys are really doing this to yourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, so, you know, I, I was cut from Harold Knight, and then that was the thing I was most scared of. And, yeah, it, you know, it sucked. But it was, like, not the worst, right? <laughs> right. I got, I still like to do improv. I still got to do improv. No one stopped me from doing improv. I still got to be in good shows. And, and I still got to audition. I got back on a team. I think that was, like, literally facing the fear, following the fear, right? I got cut. That's what happened to me. That was the thing I was most afraid of. And then it... I was fine. So, right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It sounds so stupid to say out loud, but that, like, I think that was that subconscious fear of, like, oh my God, if I get cut, like, I didn't even know what I was afraid of about yeah. it. Like, you know, and I think just going through that experience was like, oh, this is fucking bullshit. Like, why am I being scared yeah. about this stupid stuff? I should just have fun. That was Jesse Lee. Here's Devin Ritchie. Getting cut from Lloyd is like really hard and right. it sucks, especially when I'm like, this phone's going to ring and I'm going to be on Herald Night. And right. I'm just like, Email, thanks for your time. I was like, oh, I'm like, and they tell you, you just don't think it's you, you yeah. know, anybody really. Yeah. And I, I was doing improv for a few years before I got on Lloyd. And then on, I feel like I was just a little timid. And at one point we were doing a Harry Potter scene and it was like a scene where it was like, like the paintings were like bullying the kids. Okay. And like yeah, yeah. we'd walk around and, and they had like made an, a move and then made a different move. And then I was supposed to be like the third most heightened move potentially in the right. second beats. And they had done like normal bully stuff, normal bully stuff, like calling them names and stuff. And I was just like in a painting weird. And I'm just like, and I, what was on the tip of my tongue that I wanted to like, I wanted to call Harry Potter like faggy. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, you faggot Harry Potter, you're a fucking fag. And just like, but I totally was doubt. I just didn't. And I said I would like flush his head in the toilet and it was fine. Sure. It was normal. But I was talking to Shannon at one point. I'm just like, I'm, I would have done it in an indie show. I would have yeah. done it anywhere else, but I'm a little scared of the stage. Mm-hmm. God damn it. You know? And she's like, no, that's bullshit. You know, like right. if that's what you improv wants to do, like do not let it this stifle you. And I think it's just slightly did over the course of it that I never was able to fully let go mm-hmm. um, and be what makes you funny at you personally as a comedian. Yeah. yeah. And so like I kind of learned that by getting cut and I was just like, oh man, that's what you get for like even trying to give it 80%. Right. You know, even if I felt okay, you've got to be full on yeah. and you've got to give them no like excuses about yourself go up there and do your job and so i really took this year off like it was a crazy year because i got cut from i got cut from lloyd i got cut from characters welcome right after that and then like the next month timmy died yeah. and i like quit my job i'm just like this sucks what am i doing like oh my god like everything just kind of like kind of crashed down uh-huh. and i just tried to like jam every week every time i've ever gotten a no from an audition or something i'm like let me go to a jam today. Yeah. I'm not going to like let myself be like, hold up. The day I got cut from Lloyd, I had to go host the jam that night with everybody else. <laughs> right. all, everybody else literally on Herald night, you know, right. I'm just like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm not even on the performer page anymore. So I wanted to take more classes. I'm just like, I want to take a class because it's been take a while since I take a class. Mm-hmm. And I took an advanced study Herald class with James Dwyer. And that thing where I used to audition in classes and like be a yeah. little like, let me fit into a UCB box. Oh, like, what do I get to? I'm like, I've been there. I've been cut. I don't care. I do care. I do care a lot. But, like, they know who I am now. Yeah. I'm just going to go out and do my own thing. And, like, I just have, like, the level of confidence that I've never had that, like, I should have had the whole time. Right. I've taken a million improv classes. Like, I've taken m- more improv classes than most of my friends. I'm like, right. I, oh, I was, like, a real nerd for a very long time. And I still take classes. And mm-hmm. I'm on house teams. And I'm like, I want to. I need to. Yeah. And so... Which I love and is very rare. I I need to take a class. Like... Yeah. 
I mean, it, it would be so fun for you to be in a class right now. Yeah. And it was an, just an advanced study, like Herald pattern game, Herald class called Own Your Shit. And I love doing that. And I've just got like, you know, and I, I'm on the B stage at least twice a week, yeah. you know, sometimes more. And I'm in class. I'm doing shows of Reckless sometimes. And I'm like, I'm just confident. I know how to do yeah. it. Yeah, I get a lot of reps in, you know, and I have enough like training in my background to be like, you know how to do this. Like yeah. you, you can rely on some backbone there. It's funny. It very much is like the like UCB performer relationship is very much like any relationship where people will sometimes do the like, oh, what do you want me to be? Which kind of kills it rather Definitely. than the like, be yourself. That's what UCB needs. UCB isn't anything without devouring a bunch of comedians yeah. and just letting them be themselves. But we have that feeling of like, oh, what's the UCB move to make or something like that. I know. That. Yeah. Like, how do I straight man like UCB likes? Exactly. Or also like, how do I have a haircut and the regular glasses like everybody else at UCB? And I'm like, right. I started being like, I'm going to wear my XFL jersey and have blue hair and just like right. be whatever I want. Because like, yeah. I had to stop caring about like, make sure this person say, oh, I do not care about that. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was weird auditioning again because mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like I feel like I'm kind of doing well right now. I feel like yeah. I'm kind of heating, and is this even a possibility? You know, yeah. like if it's not, don't let me care about this again. You literally just told me like nine months ago, <laughs> like right. Not. But I think I think there's a way to do this, you know, yeah. and and I am back, which is nice. Now it's like let's do this the right way, and I'm on a team full of people who have been on Lloyd night before. Yeah. And so it's just like business, you Good. know, and like, let's have fun. Like, let's just do it. Let's not get caught up in <laughs> like first team. Like, you know, yeah, imaginary bullshit. That's kind of, like pressures that don't exist, but that we created ourselves. Know. Yeah. You know, everybody wants their team to be like the best team. Yeah. I, I believe that. Like yeah. everybody wants their team to be like the family team, you know? And, these people like can very much be your brothers and sisters, but like, how many teams are you going to be on? Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, how often are you going to keep changing this? And especially on Lloyd Net when they're like, this is only a year. Exactly. And do you think that now that it is – so Lloyd is a purely a one-year program. At the end, all teams are disbanded. People could move up to Harold, yeah. stay on Lloyd, get cut. Whereas before it was like, oh, a couple teams did move from Lloyd all the way up and that kind of thing. Yeah. How do you think that's like changed that feeling of being on Lloyd? I think it's giving it a more realistic feeling. Mm-hmm. I think that like once a couple teams did get moved to Harold Knight, it was just like we're really all gunning for that. Yeah. And Shannon Sirius, when she's saying all eight of you have to be ready, not seven of you. Yes. Like eight of you separately. I could put you all on Harold Knight individually, but you're all good enough, so I'm just pulling you all up. Yeah. And that's so rare to happen. Like, we don't cut from Harold right now. You yeah. You know, like, so rare that there are enough slots to do that. And, like, this time we had enough slots to make a new Harold team, but, like, let's make a new Harold team full of, like, all the people from Lloyd right. who are good enough. This is only a year. And so now we're just, like, I think it was even a surprise for this last round of people who are, like, new, my teammates. Are, yeah. oh, I can't believe they're really doing it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but, like, they tell us and we still don't believe them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, but my team will be good enough. And I'm, and I think that coming onto this team, none of us have any qualms about that. We're like, nah, well, yeah. that's not a thing. Uh, let's just all be good and let's get each other good. I think it, especially this time around, because I was like, I got cut from a year. Like, did I utilize my year? And no, like I didn't. You know, <laughs> like I applied for some stuff, but definitely got like caught up in like the culture of being yeah. on Lloyd team and like you know being suddenly enamored with how many people want me to coach them and stuff. You know. Right. And 
I think there's a way to like really focus in and get some work done and make more time of it and not just like enjoy your newfound popularity. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and now that I'm kind of over that, I'm like, okay, let's just do the work. That was Devin Ritchie. By the way, unless it isn't absolutely clear, regarding Devin's move in the bullying Harry Potter scene, that was a move, or in this case, a hypothetical move, that made sense to Devin for his experience and his comedic voice. We're not arguing that people should yell that in scenes. Hey, fellow straight or straightish people, don't yell that in scenes. That's obvious, right? We don't need to spend more time on that. Okay, great. Up next, here is Lily Dew. So you were on Detroit, uh huh, and then you were cut. Yes, and then you were back. I actually, I guess my first question is like, why did you want to come back? What part of being on a house team? do you love? I think the good reasons are the ones that everyone I feel like knows, but things I like about being on a house team, it's a great audience. Mm -hmm. It's a show, you know, it's a consistent performance opportunity that you get in front of a full receptive house. And I also, yeah, like being assigned like seven people that just has to like work with you on yeah. some shit for like a year. Cause sometimes if you leave that up to people, there's things fall apart. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think it's a great performance opportunity. Most of all, what are the hard parts about being on a house team? There's so much hard stuff. <laughs> and that's the stuff that no, uh, people don't like to think or talk about. A large part of it is just like, a test in like willpower mm -hmm. and like psychological strength because you know that you're graded and you know that your team's existence is like not really in your control after a year. So, and that either gets to you or you can power through. It's just like another kind of condition on your improv. Can you improvise well in front of a full house while you know you're being evaluated against all your previous work and that might determine your like future on a mm -hmm. team and I think for some people that gets to them and I think the first time I was on a team that stuff definitely got to me mm -hmm. more than the second time around with the second time around why do you think it didn't get to you as much for one thing, I had been through it before and being cut sucked, but I also like made a lot of my own stuff and did a lot of work for myself in those two years that I was off. So I was like, if I get cut, it will not be the end of the world. Mm -hmm. I'll still have, you know, my career still will go on. And yeah, I think going through it once makes it less scary. And also because I felt like I was better. And yeah. I didn't feel as much of an imposter syndrome. I got yeah. on, yeah, I was like, I always wanted to do everything like fast, accelerated. I got on in under, a little under two years mm -hmm. and that felt good because I was like, I've been working really hard. I can't wait three years. I can't wait four years. And now, but, but yeah, I constantly felt like, oh, I'm a fraud, I'm not good enough, I, like, doubted myself. But if you consistently, like, do good work for, like, five years, you just, like, shed more and more of that. And also, having had bad shows and good shows, I'm more able to look at it as, like, an ever-changing process. I had a bad show last week, I'll have a maybe good show this week. It's fine. Not to say that I don't still beat myself up yeah. after bad shows. 
but it becomes less of a I'm feeling this as a reflection of myself rather than oh I had a bad show yes I feel bad about it what can I change about it yes and it's like slumps are real it's so crazy because I used to watch house teams and I would see people have bad shows and then the next week have a good show but somehow the first time when I was on a house team I would never allow myself that Mm -hmm. if I had one bad show I'd be like it's all over I took everything so personally so seriously and this year I think in like the middle I had like a run of like a few weeks where like my games just didn't come through and they weren't the strongest shows and then I just like I was just like hey but that does not last forever. And it's true. Like, I, a teammate of mine kept a spreadsheet of all our suggestions and first and second beats. It was great. I love organized people. It was fun to look back, and I could literally see the slump in the middle of the spreadsheet. I was, like, three shows in a row where I was, like, just, like, really not great and not feeling it. Uh-huh. And then, like, I picked back up. Right. And it's, like, it's ever-changing. You're good. You're bad. You're good. You're bad. Yeah, when we're up there, so much of it feels like everything is about me. Uh Like anytime I'm bad, every line I say that doesn't instantly hit or kill, it's like, well, I guess everybody hates me now. But yet when I watch a show, I am only focused on how is the group as a whole making it. And I don't care about, oh, there was one person off to the side who said one line and it didn't hit. I care about like, oh, they said one line and then the rest of the group made it hit. Great. Yeah. I also think you can get addicted to the validation of having a really great show. Mm -hmm. Like, if you do really kill it in one show, like, people tell you, and they really congratulate you, and everyone's, like, so nice about it and laudatory, and it feels so good that, like, it, it gets bad if you start to, like, chase that. And then if you have a bad show, you're like, well... If anyone says good show, I know they're lying. Right. And we do say good show sometimes just because it's like, oh, I saw your show. Hey, you know what? Whatever. Good show. Yeah. I'll never Um, come up to you and say like, hey, I think you did a bad job. (laughs) It's not necessary. It's like, you know. Yeah. You know you did a bad job. I probably just won't tell you anything about the show. Yeah. So then when you got cut, what did you jump into? What did you start to like, I'm going to do this to either get better or just to keep going. Yeah. I was cut in the spring. That summer, I took a Meisner summer intensive. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a better actor. I felt like that was holding me back. And also that was like a separate angle of like my career that I wanted to get better at. And And so Meisner is, that's the whole like, you're acting, you're repeating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it was great. It was just like a lot of tapping into your emotions and reacting and being emotionally vulnerable it is very related to improv Mm -hmm. yeah I think I just I mean I didn't take a long break from improv but I just went and focused on other things for a while and felt like oh there are still other areas of my life in which I can grow and that I am good at and then slowly like shifted back into like practicing improv regularly and stuff I've never taken too long of a break from improv that was Lily Dew, and now here's Kevin Hines. What do you see as the difference between Lloyd and Harold? As far as what makes somebody ready for Harold as opposed to being on Lloyd? I don't think anything. Yeah? Is that I mean, if you're very if you're new to Lloyd, there's a difference between you and Harold. Mm-hmm. This is again me. The theater will not agree with me on this, but the people who are on their first Lloyd team, I think aren't ready 
to really start pushing boundaries? Because they don't know the, they haven't really worked that basic herald. Yeah, they, I mean, no indie team does a ton of heralds. Mm-hmm. Not like Lloyd, and not for that audience, and mm-hmm. not with that level of people around them. It just doesn't happen. I mean, it probably does once in a rare while, but you're not surrounded by seven other people who are as good as this doing heralds for the best audience for improv. Mm-hmm. You just that's not happened to you. Do that for a little bit. Don't be in a rush either. Enjoy it. Don't be thinking about that next step. Some people are. Don't be focused on that. Just like enjoy it. Be good at it. But then once you've done that for a little while, it's personal growth at that point. Some people mm-hmm. are ready to, to do stuff and some people aren't. The, I've always thought the best Lloyd team is no, it's better than the worst Herald team probably. Yeah. If you swapped the, whatever the worst Herald team is and the best Lloyd team is, they wouldn't lose a beat, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely if you took the best eight people from Lloyd Knight and the worst eight people from Herald and made them switch, other than shattering the confidence of those Herald performers, <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't affect anything. Yeah. It would be the same. The only thing that stops Lloyd is they're, limit- they're limited. They're told they can't do certain things. Yeah. Uh, they're often told they have to do Pattern Game forever. Mm-hmm. With Hotspur, I did a little bit. We, did, yeah. we definitely did a weirder opening. I, mean, I think we did some stuff. Did we do like Monocene Second Beats or Second Beats all in the same world? We did. I think it was same world. Yeah. Yeah. So we just like those are all in the same hospital or mm-hmm. whatever. They're still edited and everything else, which is sort of pushing those boundaries a little bit because that team was working, mm-hmm. and it's just like well they're, they're ready. Yeah, and that was a Lloyd team. What was the difference? Nothing. I don't think. Yeah, I think sometimes Herald teams are pushing the boundaries and they shouldn't be. I watch them. And I'm like, ah, this is messy. I feel like I, let me see you guys do a couple good Heralds first. Yeah. Prove to me you should be doing this. And I don't see nearly enough Herald Knight, and, and nowadays not even enough Lloyd Knight to say that's. For true about now, but I've definitely in the past gone to Herald Night and saw teams doing weird heralds, and I'm like, ugh, that was fine. Mm-hmm. And the audience seemed to like it, so maybe I'm just wrong, but I was like, I don't think you guys could do a herald. When I saw women and men the most recent time I saw mm-hmm. them, they were great. And I bet if they did it, if I said, do a strict herald, yeah. they could have done it. It would have been a little sillier because that was a silly team. Mm-hmm. It is, is a silly team, but they could have definitely done a herald. You just tell. Mm-hmm. They got the goods. The enemy did weird things more and more as they went mm-hmm. on. at slam ball, too. But it's like, they could do a herald. Yeah. No question they could do a herald. Like, they were a great team. They could do a herald. And then some teams I see do it, and it's like, and I'm not going to name teams, but it's like, ugh, I don't think you could do a herald. Yeah. And I watch some Lloyd teams where I'm like, you could do more than this. And yeah. you want to. You're pushing at the seams. Uh, Sandino, when they formed, they were almost all new to Herald Night. And within two months, they were doing weird heralds. Yeah. So what's the difference between them and the new Lloyd team? Beyond, Santino was great. Sure. And I don't know who this Lloyd team yeah. is, uh, uh, hypothetical. <laughs> they could be the great. I don't, I don't agree with the sentiment that newer is worse, the mm-hmm. older people are better. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't think most people do if you say it that way. Some people get better right away. I think everybody should have to go through a period where like, you're working on it. Yeah. And, and Lloyd happens, is I, that period. And they're all the new people are put on Lloyd, so some of those teams need to be doing that. Mm-hmm. But some of those people have been on Lloyd a while. I definitely feel like if there's a team on Lloyd, if a team that's just made up of eight people that were on other Lloyd teams, they don't need to be at. We don't need to be as strict with them as long. Mm-hmm. Maybe like the first month or two, you're like, first couple heralds, let's just do it. And then, then let the coach decide. You know, these guys can, we can push it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the team that's all new people, they should sit in it five, six months maybe. That's only like 10 shows. Yeah. And then push for it. Even if like their first two shows, if you're a brand new Lloyd team, your first two shows are great. I'd say, let's do two more. 
Yeah, Sandino, I coached them at the beginning. They wanted to do organic stuff immediately. And I was their coach, and I said no. Yeah. So let's just let's just enjoy doing great, funny shows for a couple months, and then Eric took over and immediately let them off the leash, and they were great. It's and true. I would maybe was wrong. Maybe they could have done it day one, but I was just like, prove to me first. Right. And if I had kept coaching them, I probably would have made them do it a little longer than Eric did. But at some point, it would have gotten away from me because like they were ready for it, mm-hmm. and they were the new. Other than Nate and Kate, they were all new. Yeah. Uh, some of them were very new. Some of them had been around a little while. Uh, but, you know, Aaron Jackson was ready. Yeah. I don't care if he's new. And every now and then there's an Aaron Jackson on Lloyd Knight. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Connolly was on Lloyd Knight, and he was the funniest guy in the world. Sean Diston was on Lloyd Knight. Yeah. You tell me he like, wasn't ready at that at the first team he was on? He was ready. Yeah. Maybe he needed to be reminded of just going through the regimented heralds. But he was ready. I don't know. So I don't think there's a difference, mm-hmm. really. There's a difference between first house team to have been on a few house teams. Yes. And there's a difference between... Never been on a great house team and has been on a great house team. Because once you've been on a team that really clicks, you know what it's supposed to feel like. And if you're on one that doesn't work, you know it. And it's hard for you to, to, to just work on scenes. Yeah. And if you've never been on a good one until you're on it, you don't really have that freedom to push it. Yeah. And it's hard to know when that happens. Uh, when it happens, you know it and you love it. And when you lose it, you're waiting for it to get it back. And you get it back. It, it goes in cycles. That was Kevin Hines. Here's Morgan Phillips. Now, having gone through Lloyd and being on Herald, what are some things that surprised you about being on house teams? Or what are some of the things that you love about being on house teams? I really lowered my expectations Uh of the house teams from over the years of talking to people who are on house teams. So, for instance, I had in my head that it was a possibility that I would hate everyone on my team. Right. And so either I've gotten very lucky so far or that person who I was talking to, that specific person was having a really unique experience. But so I didn't have any sort of expectations that like I would get on the team and everything would be perfect. Mm -hmm. So there's been pretty much nothing but positive surprises. Yeah. Lloyd was difficult knowing that some people would, would make it and some people wouldn't. Yeah. I guess that's an unavoidable thing, but it really is a weird and uncomfortable and just really sad dynamic. Uh, My new Herald team has uh, three people who came up from Lloyd. Yeah. And I was just reminded of that idea of like how it feels to be told you're on Herald, but then to simultaneously find out that people who you really respect and, and like who are on your Lloyd team, like, for instance, either we're cut in yeah. entirely and we're not on a team anymore. Yeah. I mean, some stay on, some get cut, some get moved up. And I guess it's not, uh, we're not officially not supposed to get cut. Their, their visa their, isn't renewed Their, their visa whatever. to the wonderful land of improv was, yes. was not being renewed. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I get why we refer to it that way. But in the moment, it feels like, like being cut. Yeah. And so to have that feeling of like, yay for me, but my teammate is experiencing something that feels like they're being punished. Yeah. Uh, I'm being rewarded. They're being punished. That's a really weird dynamic uh-huh. to have in there in the mix. And it's all happening on the same day, within the same week. Yeah. 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 So that I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for. And also, you know, back, back in the day, there was no Lloyd Knight. So yeah. that, that aspect of these, these teams where you have a, a hypothetically just a year and then big things are going to happen at the end. Uh, was not part of it. Yeah. Back when the former way they did Herald teams, yeah. I also mentally prepared myself for getting on a Herald team and then having the Herald team be cut entirely after six months yeah. or me personally being cut after six months, and that would be my only experience of Herald Night. Mm-hmm. So 
I desperately do not want to be cut, and, and right. hopefully that'll that'll. But I am like I at least have that as like something I am. Yeah. I see as a possibility, even no matter whether it's a possibility or not at this point. Just uh, having seen those rounds, because there were many times where it was, yeah, I'd audition. I, oh, I feel like I should have got on. Worse people than me got on. Better people than me got on. Pe- all these people got on, and I didn't. And then you see their teams, and they're not great, or they struggle, and then they get cut, and you realize, like, it's okay that I didn't get on, because I got to just work on me for a while and do all those things. Sure. It contextualizes a lot of it. Yeah, just that whole the whole. I guess that's a more of a sort of an industry thing yeah. that creeps into the, that process. That idea of to succeed, other people need to fail. Yeah, which is obviously not at all what improv is about. I mean, that's no. that's like stand up. That's that stand-up is stand up. Yeah, that's but improv is supposed to be like everybody succeeds or we all fail. And I understand why when you have an audition process, when you have a select selective team like that, where it's hand-picked people mm-hmm. it has there has to be an aspect of that if you want to have the group that represents the best abilities that, yeah. that come through your school you have to have winners and losers if that's that's if you want to do that and, mm-hmm. I, and I think I, I do I want to have that I love capitalism Curtis and I believe that no I don't want to get into that that was Morgan Phillips up next is Joey Price Joey's Lloyd team Graceland was one of the few Lloyd teams to get bumped as a whole, to Herald and continue as a Herald team on Tuesday nights. Here's Joey. First off, let's talk about Graceland. Like, what do you think worked well for that team? And, and what direction did you guys give yourselves? I think what worked well for that team was six months in, we were like, let's just be really good at the pattern game and initiating off of the pattern game. So we just worked on that. Like, Distin coached us for 18 months, at mm-hmm. least. And he is heavy into the opening is the foundation. Exactly. Without a good opening, you can't have good first beats. Without first beats, you can't have good second and third. Yeah. And he hadn't coached that much. He hadn't coached a house team, I think, prior yeah. to us. So I think he was really excited just to, like, get to work with us, like, a core group of people for a long time and kind of figure out, like, this is what I think I'm his strong suit is as a coach mm-hmm. and it absolutely is he there was like a six-month period where he didn't charge us because like which is insane yeah so yeah I think it was just kind of like the goal of Lloyd Knight is to just do tra- training wheels Herald which yeah. I think is like maybe comes off out, off of as, as a disparaging term but I don't think it is yeah um it's really like training wheels is a terrible analogy because training wheels help you. It's much more of like a weighted herald. Yeah, like it's, it's yeah, absolutely. Oh, a herald chained to a boulder. As much <laughs> as I love the pattern game yeah, and too. think it yeah. really helps in, in so yeah. many ways, it is much more of you have to do this very rigid form of the herald. Yeah, and then on herald night you can yeah you can do variations. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically all we worked on. Yeah, and we got really good at it. We did like a uh, maybe a Herald Night time machine last year or two years ago at DCM, and th- th- this was all like a, in a, a weird kind of amalgamation of Graceland at that point. But I think we did a pattern game, and it was like, hey, we kind of still got it. Like, yeah. like I think there was just something that like we did it so much that it just instilled this way of doing it yes. that like we don't we never lost it. So that was the big thing that we worked on and i think that that is what got us onto herald night yeah is that we just could like 
do a good pattern game, and then just launch into first beats without a problem. There's something great now about because so many of us have had very similar experiences with the pattern game of like almost everybody on Herald has gone through Lloyd Mm -hmm. and often had the same like group of teachers or coaches that teach pattern game in similar ways Mm -hmm. that we all kind of do this like Will Hines, Sean Diston, like this is very regimented in a lot of ways of that, that I think it was maybe Salute's first practice where it was like we did a pattern game and then it was like, oh yeah, this is easy. We all know the pattern game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was like, None of us had ever done one together, yeah. and it's been four years since I've done one on stage, probably about the same for you. Like, right. And then it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, wait, we could do this and yeah. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the pattern game. So, yeah, I think, yeah, anyway, that was a big part of our uh, success. And then I think, you know, we start, on Herald Night, we, I think we did, like, pretty well. We weren't great. I think that might have been just kind of like we felt a little stuck because we'd worked maybe so hard, hard on that, then, then when we tried to move on to something else, mm-hmm. it like felt forced or something yeah. like that. Well, maybe we should have just kept doing that thing that we were really good at and right. like finding a way to maybe even make it our own even more. But it was like a super great experience. That was Joey Price. Up next is Lydia Hensler, who was on the Herald Team Bastion, which was the longest running Herald Team at UCB. Here's Lydia. I want to talk a little bit about Bastion okay. as far as – because I've been thinking a lot about like house teams and how they develop and what it means to be on one and that kind of thing. And Bastion, were you guys together four years, five years? Four, I think. Okay. Yeah. What did you guys focus on as a team? I remember Gethard was our first coach. We were all like madly in love with Gethard and mm-hmm. had, had him as a teacher and he was our first coach. And he was very big. I remember him giving us like a, a talk in the beginning of just like – you know, keep it in the family, like be a group that's a, that's a group that, that we're here for each other and yeah. support each other. And that, especially at that time, because it used to be just wasn't Whoa, what it is now, you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, people could be like, Oh, that person denied my initiation, you know, that kind of thing. He was like, yeah. just always be supporting each other and working on goals. And, and we took that to heart because we were all like early twenties and just very passionate about improv. And so like, technically we took it to heart in a way that was ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. we were rehearsing twice a week and like it was just like insane when we had shows we would do a rehearsal like the sun so we rehearsed like every week like you do and then we would do an additional rehearsal on show weeks that was just running heralds all rehearsal and then because the way the ranking system was yeah. and all of that it's like we were doing really wonderful heralds so then we were getting shows every week so we're rehearsing twice a week performing once a week and then we would be like should we start a book club you know it was just like we were that team right. and then and you hear of that. Like, I remember like teaching and then hearing of teams doing that. Like, what are they doing? Right. <laughs> like, go live your lives. But, um, but it, we were just that passionate. But I think the key for us, as far as goals and stuff, was to keep loving working with each other because we were together for so long. So it was like every shakeup, we were, remained intact. And we didn't want to be a team that died on the vine, you yeah. know? And so I think we really wanted to like keep exploring the art form which was really great for us because you know you know that thing where it's, this is like a classic improv I think it's like an like insidey kind of joke or whatever of just like when a team is not doing well it's like we got to change our opening you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Like it's the opening oh, yeah. we got to change our opening we, ah, we got to do uh-huh. uh, scene painting or yeah. something 
Uh, and it's just like, it's never the open. Exactly. No, it's like there's something, there's a kink that needs to be worked yeah. out. I think we were really good at being aware of like what maybe wasn't feeling so great or just like, you know, I think it'd be fun if we tried doing like thematic stuff. Or I think mm-hmm. it'd be fun if we just, and like being really open to pitching a new way to approach Harold. Right. And, uh, and not as a, we need to fix this, but as a, this is something fun that we could shoot towards. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we were definitely very, we were just such like students of improv mm-hmm. that we were very like aware of like what we were like, you know, what wasn't working or whatever. Like, but it was, yeah, always just like, what, how do we keep it fresh? I think for us, we want to just keep discovering stuff. And that was really fun. And cause it did, we were together three years and then we brought Gethard back and he did all these like, thematic stuff. And that was, I think like our sweet spot. Like we were doing these shows that were like blowing our minds. Mm-hmm. We're like, Oh my God, we're doing it. You know, we're like bending the form and, and it was so cool after three years together to then do something totally exciting and then even like towards the end of our run because I think we kind of knew like we've been together a long time I think we knew like it was kind of gonna end we were just like let's do as many different types of heralds that Mm -hmm. you can do like okay this week we're gonna do mono scene heralds this month or whatever and next month we'll do macro scene heralds and next month we'll do eventes or like it was just finding new ways to be excited about Mm -hmm. the same structure because it is kind of crazy that I've been performing for, what, like a decade at this theater and to classes before that and still, like, can get excited about a herald, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's a, this structure everyone learns and does and there's still new ways to, like, fuck with it, right. you know? It's so fun that you can, like, really bend something and not break it, you know? It's really cool. That was Lydia Hensler. Up next is more from Joey, specifically now about some of his other herald teams after Graceland. It, it was never really spoken, but the the thing in, with the enemy was like, we rule, everyone else sucks, and I think the the where that came out was like nobody ever was wrong in in a good yeah. way. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like we ne- it, this was never really spoken, but it was just kind of like we never had any issues in our scenes where it was like somebody did something wrong and right. and everyone yelled at that person. It was yeah. just kind of like, we just like jumped out there and supported yeah. each other, which was really great. But that yeah. nobody being wrong feels very, also very like a, a strength that blends into group games. Yes. Right? Yeah. Of let's all coalesce around this one yeah. thing. And we had great group games. I mm-hmm. think that was like our strongest. It was a team of like big personalities. And so I think just the ability to like, Somebody making a big move and then just everybody just doing it, I think, was uh, a winning strategy for that team. And we never questioned that in in a good way. Yeah. Which, again, in a group game, those are like the two basic things you need. Like that as a winning strategy for a team. What's your strategy as a team? (laughs) Well, we're going to yes and we're also going to and. Like it's so basic. (laughs) But people often don't do it. It often feels like, oh, we need to be polite to each other. Yeah. Especially like – Early on Lloyd, um, teams will do that. Yeah. We were never polite to each other. Yeah. Uh, in a good way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but we, we like, were, we were <laughs> both on and off stage. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we were, but we were able to, like, call each other at, like, call each other out in scenes mm-hmm. in a way that was also, like, everyone start doing that thing. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's good. I think that is, like, um, always going to be a fun scene. Uh, for Slam Ball, 
at a certain point, because Slambo was like a mix of enemy and then like a couple of new mm-hmm. people, um, and then some people left and things like that. So I think just at a certain point we were like, let's push ourselves to do more thematic show wide yeah. stuff, and we that happened to coalesce at the time that Achilles started coaching us, and Achilles is really good at yeah. coaching that kind of stuff. He was into it, and like he, Achilles is like such a committed coach yeah. uh, that he like came to all but maybe like one of our shows or two of our shows uh which is huge which seems very minor for a herald knight coach like if for anybody who's not like on on a house team it seems like oh of course you would be able to get a coach to come to your shows because it's a house team and blah 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 it is so fucking hard it's really hard everyone's incredibly busy yeah unless like the person that is coaching you is on herald knight Mm -hmm. and not in a show that conflicts with your slot at Herald Knight, it is hard to get people to come. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone's busy. You're not paying them to come to that time. Like, so it's it's Which I disagree with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess some teams, I guess, yeah, you could either, I think it would be fine for coaches to ask for money or to charge more in their... Yeah, some people charge more. Uh, yeah, if you charged um, more in the room that you're in it with the team that you're coaching, yeah. with the understanding of like uh, that extra money is because I'm going to be coming to your Herald Knights. Sure, that I think teams sense. should just say, "Hey, here's an extra twenty bucks yeah, for coming to our show if you are committed to it," and that's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I especially agree. for any community where we're like where there's any hint of like why don't house team why don't house performers get paid? The fact that we're like. Why don't we get paid, but then we're also not paying the people who come yeah. to our shows yeah. and devote so much? I don't know. Yeah, I agree. That was Joey Price. By the way, again, pay your coaches to watch your show. Oh, and also, you should never be paying a particular person to be on a house team. You'll pay for a coach. You'll pay for rooms to practice in. But if someone, like an artistic director or whoever, says, hey, you're on a house team, now pay me for that privilege, then there's a problem. You're being scammed. Anyway, up next, I asked Alex Dixon about joining the Stepfathers, a weekend team. Was there anything that kind of, like, surprised you? Like, moving from Harold to a weekend team? Yeah. I remember, like, I sat in with them for a while, so Mm. I don't remember if this was when I was sitting in. It probably was. Because Harold Knight is largely students, so they are laughing at funny stuff, but they're also laughing at improv stuff. Like, they'll be like, oh, that's a funny thing because I know how improv works. It's a little bit of, like, the jazz audience. of Like, yes, "Yes, good, a minor (laughs) seventh chord, good. Yes, or going to a Shakespeare play with my sister-in-law who's an English teacher. She'll, like, lean over and be like, clever choice. I'm like, (laughs) okay, leave me alone. Uh, (laughs) But I remember I was doing a scene with Connor where we were playing Taboo. Mm Mm-hmm. Improv taboo, object work taboo. And so we're making it up, right? So I would give, I would start saying words, he'd guess something, and I'd be like, yup. And thinking that the audience is just going to laugh at that because it's not really taboo. Yeah. They didn't laugh at all. And then I was like, okay, fine. And then I said a bunch of words, Connor guessed, and I was like, no, no. And they didn't laugh, and I realized that nothing funny had happened. I was expecting them to laugh because they were like, oh, that's so funny, it's improv. Yeah. A Herald Knight audience would have just laughed at the conceit of yeah. I can decide if he's right or decide if he's wrong because there's not really a card in front of me. But the weekend audience is 
they believe they're like you are playing taboo yeah and i'm watching you and i'm listening <laughs> which is cool i love that but it is like you very rarely get laughs that are improv savvy laughs yeah they're always just like comedy laughs because a fair amount of them assume that it's already written like they don't even really 100 yeah. percent believe that you're making it up anyway so yeah. they're not going to laugh at the that improv savvy type move right the only kind of improv things they laugh at are when it's very clear like if somebody breaks and it's very clear that something surprised us as the actors they'll laugh and i think part of it is that they're like oh right they're making it up and we just saw them be surprised by something you're right i bet there's a decent amount of them who are like well they knew they were going to do a scene where right. blah 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 yeah I had when I was performing in Chicago I worked at a nonprofit and there was a woman I worked with who came to so I did this show called Chairs where we did a one act improvised play basically that started with a person giving a monologue who had died mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the one act play was like leading up to their death it was like their last day or whatever and there was a woman that I worked with who came to like three or four shows so she saw that they were different every time we played musical chairs to figure out who the monologist was going to be so she knew that it was different every time and then the fourth time she came to see a show she was like were you excited when they told you you were going to play the mom tonight and I was like what and she was like you got to play the mom and I was like no one told and then I realized like she had come to all these shows that were all different but she still thought that we there was an element of us pre-planning the the casting and the basic plot of the show. And I was like, no, we make up everything. And she was like, well, no, no, I know that. But, and I was like, no, we make everything about it except that we know that we're going to start with musical chairs after that. Right. And she was like, oh, my God. So I have no, I mean, and that was a woman who knew me and came to see my show, so I can't imagine how many people in... Just off the street. Yeah, or like tourists who are like, oh, I want to go see UCB. But that's the main one, I think. That's the difference. The other big difference, obviously, is that I'm doing an hour of improv instead of 25 minutes, which is easier for me because I like kind of slow burn and feeling stuff out. Also, the Herald is the hardest structure so Mm. it's hard and it's quick yeah (laughs) but yeah other than that it's pretty much the same and obviously like having to do heralds and having to learn premise and stuff like that has helped me with the more sort of like freeform stuff that we do which is what i always say to people like once you can do a herald you can do anything yeah improv wise yeah yeah (laughs) it'd be it, it really is the oh i've done this very rigid form now that I've taken care of that, you can start to like adjust one way or the other. Yeah, and I think it helps with, at least for me, I know this isn't true for everybody, but like doing the Herald and watching other people's scenes from the back line and being able to be like, oh, this is the fun thing. I have a walk-on idea. No, they don't need it. Like tempering that sort yeah. of support versus like clusterfuck helps a lot when there's no form basically because it's so easy i mean we've seen many shows where it's so easy where it's like wow 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 not everyone needs to be in this scene even Mm. though this there isn't a rule so i do think it helps me like in our show on friday there was a large chunk in the second part where i wasn't in the show and i had a moment where i was like you need to get in there and then i was like no, I don't. This yeah. is fine. Right. <laughs> like me getting going in there would just be, I've been on the back line for a while. But it's like, that's okay. Yeah. So I think that that helped with that a lot of tempering that like, 
am I needed? Oh, they're fine. This is great. And and also like having an eye for pacing and editing and yeah. things like that. The rigidity of that structure forces everyone on the back line to be a director at all points. Yes. And really like, yeah, we need to keep that pace up. We need to edit this. Yeah. There was an exercise Porter Mason used to do where it, you would like do a show and between each scene, everybody on the, everybody, the entire team would go, what does this show need right now? And then they'd think and then they'd do the next scene. Oh, that's cool. And so it was like a way of like kind of thinking of it, not just as like, oh, I need to be in the scene or not in the scene, but right. oh, we just did three, we just did two low energy scenes. Maybe we need another low energy scene to keep that pattern going and that's yeah. our theme or maybe I want to do a big scene. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. So it's not necessarily that saying that there's any exercise other than it's a reminder to exactly. people that you should always be thinking that way. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. Yeah. That's great for teams too who tend to do like, hey guys, you didn't notice but you did three scenes where two people had chairs and were sitting across from each other. This show needs an action scene or whatever. And or maybe the theme is every every exactly. scene is two people sitting across from each other. <laughs> Which, what a theme. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I see people do a Let's Herald... Let's explore that. <laughs> okay, like, what does it mean to sit into two chairs? <laughs> Anytime I see a Herald and it's one scene with two people sitting in chairs and then a next scene with two people sitting in chairs, as soon as that, like, third scene starts and people go for the chairs, I just, like, <laughs> internally, I just clench up, like... You guys just put those chairs on the back wall again, and then you're going right back, pulling them back out. And it's usually where you're like, you di- this scene didn't need to be two people sitting. Like, it's very rarely at, for that third scene, yeah. is it like, yeah, you have to be sitting across from each other. You're yeah. right. It's like, you could have been hiking. You could have been at a spin class. Right. Whatever. And again, it's that reality thing of why, why not pull those little bits of texture that we don't pull of, yeah, people in a spin class, people hiking, people right. walking to the Sephora at 34th right. Street or like whatever right. it is. That was Alex Dixon. Up next is Sebastian Canelli. Do you miss Harold Knight? Yeah, 100%. How come? It's the heart of the theater. Undeniable. It's like, it's a magical night, you know? Like, And I wasn't like one of those students that was at Harold Knight every week. But when I was on it, it was awesome. I was lucky. My teams were super filled with super talented people. So I didn't have like a ton of bad experiences on Harold Knight. I mostly did pretty good shows. The audiences loved it. Mm-hmm. They go nuts. They go. They literally love watching the shows. They want to see you guys do good Harolds. Yeah. And our bar is so different from their bar. Yes. What we view as a pretty good show, they've never seen. Of course. And that's like changing. It's like changing for them to see so, like you guys do a, a pretty good Harold. Right. It's people that love what you're doing rather than people who are filling a night. Yeah. That's that's okay to like perform for people filling a night or like trying to have fun. But there's a different energy in the room when it's people that love and respect what you're doing. Nobody nobody comes to the weekends being like these are fantastic performers. I respect them so much knowing their names. We get right. no repeat audience. We get like a few, but like besides that, 
it's not like a lot of students come. They why would they come? It, it doesn't make sense in a way. Go to the free classes. Yeah. You're already giving so much <laughs> fucking money to the theater, right? I yeah. get it. Go, go to the Harold Night, and especially if you're working on Harold's, why are you gonna come watch me pull pull fucking shit from from an interview? Yeah, it makes it. If I was a teacher, I would say go to Harold Night, go to Lloyd Night, because that's what you want to be doing. If that's like your goal, so that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't be going to the weekend shows. Jesus, what a bad plug. <laughs> uh, but I just, I do miss that. It's also fun to be there and see everybody. Yeah. Just even say just hi. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, I, I see the people on the weekends, but, like, it's more of, like, a turnover at Harold Night. And there, there's more people that you just bump into and you're bumping into all the students and everyone is watching each other's shows and stuff like that. I guess the community part is nice mm-hmm. and you miss that a little bit. Even practices. I loved practice. Yeah. I was the worst at practices in many ways. What what does that mean? I would just fool around too much. Yeah. I would have too much fun at practice. Just like my scenes. I would like see how far I could go and then I would reel back in. Right. right? I would do something funny and I would turn around and wink at the people on the back line in the middle of scenes. Oh my god. I know, I was a monster. A straight up monster in, in practices. But I missed that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was, just, it was fun. It was straight up fun. And, like, I don't get to do that. Yeah. And you miss that. Like, you also get to hang out with people and do what you love for three hours. And that's pretty cool. So it is hard sometimes moving on past Harold Night. Enjoy it while you got it. Because yeah. you, you go, I'll never, I'll never go on the weekend. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, how the f- wait, I'm on the weekend. Yeah. Which is great. Honestly, with my schedule right now, it's exactly what I need. Because <laughs> it also, it clears up. I mean, I have two days a week where one day I've got to be at Herald Night. Another day I'm practicing for Herald Night. Yeah. Plus then coaching then other things. It's like, oh, great, I'm coaching this team. Also now I have to be at, at Lloyd. I've got to uh-huh. do blank, blank, blank. Yeah, just having two extra days a week is a huge thing. Yeah. So it, like, works for me right now. Yeah. And I love doing an hour show. Oh, God, I love an hour show so much. 25 minutes is not – I only do – I have two improv shows a week that are consistent, and they're both an hour. So 25 minutes would be – it would just be a hard adjustment. Yeah. Because I just want more. I'm I'm selfish like that. I feel like also – I could be, no matter what, in an hour, I'll have a couple moments that I'm really proud of. Mm-hmm. In a 25-minute show, not guaranteed. Yeah. Which is, I love it. I mean, I love the weekend, too. It's, it's, it feels nice to make a new audience laugh every week. Because then you're reassured that, like, oh, I am funny. Mm-hmm. These people will not laugh if they don't find it funny. It's not just the people who are already prepped to laugh at mm-hmm. me. Or for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they're doing. But I do. It is like a boost of confidence in a way to hear yeah. strangers go, you're funny. And because also we said that, you know, a pretty good Herald for us is an amazing Herald for a Herald Night audience. Yeah. An okay show for us is maybe the best improv show they've ever seen. It yes. might be the only improv show they've ever seen. Of course. But even if they've seen like five or ten or something – if they come to New York and see this one show and they see you on the weekend, yeah, that might be the greatest show they've ever seen. Yeah. Or they fucking hate it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that that people do take clear stance. I, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't know why we came to this shit. <laughs> uh, we could have done anything for our bachelorette party and we came here. I know. Don't come. Bachelorette parties don't come to the fucking theater. We're not going to talk to you. Literally not going to talk to you. We Wait, don't want even to. Even if they scream during the suggestion part? I guess so. I guess we'll 
talk for a second, but it's not – they want a stand-up show. Yeah. They want someone making fun of them, making jokes yeah. about being a bachelorette. Also, just have fun with your friends. Don't go to an environment where you have to sit and not talk to each other, right? Isn't it like your last night out together? Yeah. Don't you want to like dance and have fun and interact with each other? You're literally in a theater where you're not supposed to pay attention to the people that you're with. It's like the idea of a movie as a a movie by itself as a date. Yes. It's like, wait, we're just going to watch this thing and then we're going to leave. It's And not, then we're going to leave, yeah. You don't interact with each other. Yeah, yeah so don't do that. <laughs> That was Sebastian Canelli. Here's James Dwyer. Do you miss being on Herald Night? No. Yeah. I liked it a lot when I was doing it, and it's really nice to be able to dip back in now. Uh, just to, like, like, I'll host Herald Night maybe once a month with Jackie Jennings, because we have a show called The Big Dumb Thing. Yeah, I don't miss it. Yeah. I don't miss practicing every week, and I don't miss beating myself up over notes every week. That said... I do all that still insofar as like I teach now and that's like my practice as is like I think as a teacher I'm getting more practice than I ever got while I was practicing because mm-hmm. having to be good at teaching is really hard and it really works your brain and it really gets you in the right mentality and do good improv so anyway short answer I don't miss it yeah but I enjoyed it a lot while I was doing it how when long I- were you on Two years only? Yeah. I thought it was longer, but I looked at it recently. I joined Harold Knight in either September or October 2011 when Nate Dern was the artistic director. And then I left Harold Knight to join the law firm in October of 2013, which it seems like there should be another year there. Right. But it's just that Good Girl still existed for like another year after right. that. Yeah, it was really, really fun though. We had some shows on Good Girl that were some of my favorite shows all time. The sweet spot is always one of those like four or five person heralds. Yes. Where you're just like, everyone leaves the stage sweaty and you're like, whoa, that was fun. I don't even, it was a blur. Yeah. The audience was into it. Yeah. My favorite week of the year is the week after Christmas when everyone mm. is out of town. Yep. And since I don't go anywhere, like I'm staying here and it's, it's generally like three person heralds or two person heralds. That's always a fun time. Yeah. I'm from Jersey. So I always love that too. I always love those weeks where everyone else goes because usually there's a lot of fun, weird times. Yeah. People hanging out too and getting stupid. Yeah. I loved Harold Knight, but I don't miss it. That was James Dwyer. So Lydia, Alex, Sebastian, James are all now on weekend teams. But some people, after being on Harold for a while, decide to step down. Here again is Joey Price. Let's talk about stepping down. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, I stepped down from Harold Knights. What, what are you doing to me, Joey? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was, a, it was a hard decision to make. It came down to like two things. Mm-hmm. Thing number one was I kind of felt like I got out of Harold Knight more than I expected to. Yeah. So there was that. I felt like very fulfilled with my entire time on it. Like I was not on a bad team, yeah. which is crazy. So that played a part in it. And then I was like, I've lived in New York for six years, I've been practicing and performing improv multiple nights a week, every week. What's my life like without doing that right. a little bit? And so I kind of, and like I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, maybe I want to see that a little bit more. I want it. There were like some. That being your wife? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, but that life, life. Yeah, that, that life. life. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah, New yeah. York life. I know, <laughs> um, I know. 
So a little bit of that. I started teaching more. I didn't want to teach any less. So I felt like it was just like, I'm busy. Mm -hmm. There's other projects I want to be working on. I wanted to write more and kind of write and like act in stuff that I wrote more. I had started directing like a monthly show, which wasn't that big of a conflict, but it was just kind of like, uh, there's like more getting on my plate a little bit. I feel fulfilled. I'm going to just, at the very least, I want like a break to see what it is like. I'm still like, there's still with Hot for Teacher and there's a show called The Fix and I've sat in on a couple of weekend teams and, you know, just kind of like mashup shows here and there. I'm still performing like two times a month or so. So that itch is still being scratched. It's not the same. I think, I, like, I really do miss, like, the Herald Night audience is great. The Yeah, just like Tuesdays at Chelsea is, like, such a special place and such a special audience and environment. Just, like, all the teams being there. I think the biggest thing I, like, the, the coolest thing I saw in the my four, five years on Herald Night is, like, Everyone, all the teams started just, like, being very nice to each other. And, like, yeah. the the environment was just, like, very friendly and, like, fun to be around. And it wasn't, like, this thing of, like, everyone would hang out all the time. If anything, maybe it was the op- – like, maybe that got less and less and less. Yeah. But it was just, like, a really positive – it just became more and more of a positive environment, which is great. So I, I miss that a lot. And, and just I miss being on a team a lot because there's something very fun about that but i also like having two nights of the week yeah. back i don't know it's, it's hard my weekends are free you know what i mean like that's yeah. nice that's great <laughs> yeah that was joey now here's more from ray cordova so apparently people don't know that i that, that i stepped down from Hollow night right and the people have been like oh i Ray got cut i can't leave shannon cut ray and i was just like what oh no, really someone yeah. told me that they overheard someone there was someone at because there was a friend of mine and a person of a friend of theirs mm-hmm. was like Oh, I heard Shannon cut Ray. And they were like, no, Ray isn't like on an indefinite hiatus. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay. So in my mind, it's probably more than one person. Right. But I also heard someone else say like, someone was like, oh, are you performing tonight? Like, that's their polite way of being like, are you still What's like, going part on? of this? And I was just like, no, no, I'm not. First of all, I think people think, people think I'm insane for stepping down. I mm-hmm. feel like. People think like, oh, that's crazy. Like, and people's like, oh, you're on TV? It's like, no, yeah. I'm not on TV. <laughs> and they're like, well, why would you leave? <laughs> and it was just like, well, you know, I... I wanted to do other things. Yeah. And they're like, what? And it's just like, I'm like, comedy? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm the kind of person where when I love something, I love it hard. And I get really, I mean, I love, I still love improv to death. And How Night is bucket list easily. One of my greatest dreams that I've actually seen come true. But I felt like I was plateauing as an artist. And for me, it's like, well, what's my next step in my career and as a person? And it was like, if I wanted to be on How Night, and then great, I've done that. And mm-hmm. I can be happy now. I'm sleeping at night. But I know, like, for me, I want to do more artistic stuff. So for me, I've been doing like a lot more stand-up, storytelling, writing. I've always talked about writing before. I don't do it enough, but I've been writing a lot. I've been working with so many people. I've been doing more two-prov, three-prov. I just like playing with people that that anyone. I also like playing, playing with people of different levels. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun to play with like the advanced students and even people who aren't even in advanced yet, even like the 301s or 401s or people who just do improv at other theaters. And you do things like a Magnet and Reckless and Pit. And not that you can't do those things on, on, on um, Harold or Lloyd Night, but it's a big... And people who, don't, who, who aren't there, 
they don't always know the responsibility of it. There's a lot of responsibility that goes into being on How Night. We've been on a team together, and yeah. it's like, you know, it's not just you. You basically, you're accountable for seven people. It's like, you know, you guys have to meet twice a week. You have mm-hmm. to do certain things to be a team. And, you know, and there's a little bit, but there's money that goes into it. Now, obviously, with coaching and, and sometimes uh, rehearsal space. But it's a commitment, and I think yeah. it takes a lot. And for me, where I was at, I felt like I wasn't productive enough in other areas, and I felt like, I kind of I love Harold. I've been doing it for a while. I did Lloyd for a couple of years before that, and I kind of felt like, okay, I want to move on. I got comfortable, man. I got so comfortable, and it's scary because you feel like, all right, I go to rehearsal on Wednesday. I have my show on Tuesday, and it's and it also spoil, it spoils you a lot as a performer because mm-hmm. you kind of, no matter how funny you are, you're always gonna get some extra laughs from because it's just the students and they they you know they wanna they wanna laugh at their teacher and they wanna you know they look up to us, which is great. But I felt like I was plateauing as an artist, yeah, and I felt like you know I was getting way too comfortable. I. Obviously, also, absolutely love Harold Knight. And sometimes I have that worry of, what if I become the equivalent of the best band at the Marriott Hilton in, you know, Fort Worth, Texas? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, we're great to this one audience, and but it's just become this thing we do once or twice a week rather than, like you said, I want to do comedy. Right. What are all of the aspects of that that I can steal from and, mm-hmm. and, and take and see and learn from? Yeah. Especially that on, that, on that note, I always tell people, like, uh, no matter what you think, or no matter how you feel about certain politics, or if you feel like I don't fit in, or you feel like is this a place for me, I would say, I would say look hands down, you're not beating the UCB curriculum. The tools they have there are just invited. I mean, it's priceless. I'm like, go there, learn what you can, apply it to your own personal art, and then you know, hopefully you'll flourish. But mm-hmm. like, and I, I've met people. I have I have a, I have a couple friends who completely were just like I don't know I don't I don't like UCB I'm not doing it I don't like it and they're very talented and I'm just like man if you had some of these tools it would make you even more talented yeah you know and it's just like but some people just I don't know and people like it's different too if you come and you you experience it but there's some people who are just like no I've heard about that place I'm just like what you know what I mean like it, it, honestly there are people who are like. And honestly, some of them came from other theaters first. Sure. So they've heard stories of people of, from, from UCB. And they like, one thing I've done is, like, I've had negative, negative experiences before. But I really don't, I don't like to spread them because that was, like, my journey. And mm-hmm. I don't want someone to perceive it like how, oh, that happened to you because you're, you know, you're black or because you're a guy. Like, no, that's just my thing. Like, I would never put down or trash UCB because it's just the pros so far outweigh the cons. Right. You know? And, yeah, they're absolutely cons. Right. But... It's hey, I can take way much, way more from the pros. Right. I can take so much from UCB and use it elsewhere. Just like I could, you know, take a class from the Magnet or the Pit or right. whatever and steal from that. Yeah, and I always tell people too, like, because uh, when I I, I, was, ugh, I was so young and dumb, it's funny. I think back to how this is kind of separate, but I think back to like how ignorant I was when I first started. And ignorance is such a strong word. What I mean to say is like just like. Certain stereotypes you had in your head and, like, just dumb things like, oh, fuck the pit. You know, right. fuck Magnet, UCB. Like, it's some invisible war. And it's so dumb. Yeah. And there's so many great performers, teachers, and valuable things to learn at all the theaters in New York City. But when I first started, like, in 09, I was like, like oh, you take a pit class. Why? I'm at the best place. You know? Yeah. It's just so silly. And, like, when I look back at everything, definitely, I've definitely had just amazing. I've been very lucky with some teachers across the board in all the theaters and yeah, I've learned stuff. Uh, Chris Griggs, for example, from the Pit. Shout mm-hmm. out Chris Griggs. Uh, he's a great guy, and like he was my level three at the Pit, and he had, he knew I already went through the program at UCB. Like when I was in level three at the Pit, I'd already done all the, everything at UCB as far as advanced and stuff goes. And he would always pull me to the side 
and give me personal notes. Or during scene work, he would give me different notes than the rest of the class. And he'd even be like, this is for Ray. And he would go into it, and he would say things like, you know, you'll do well wherever you land, because I feel like you did UCB so long, and you did it first. And he was like, so people are going to kind of already kind of, not he, he, not so much give me free laughs, but he was like, you're very good at getting people to laugh. Yeah. But that can spoil you, because sometimes you'll have laughs that you really don't deserve. And he was like, right. he, yeah, he was very real with me. He was like, you know, and he, he, was, he was, even time, he was like, you kind of, I've noticed you play... What you're good at, you're great at, and you lean into that a lot. And he's like, I want to see you do things you're bad at and become more well-rounded. Because while you'll get popular and people will like you for what you're good at, to be, he's like, if you want to be an all-around better improv player, here are things I think you should, you should work on. Right. And that helped me tremendously as a player to hear something like that. Seeing the other sides of the community other than house teams, mm-hmm. I feel like is also a very important part of, yeah, it's the end result isn't Weekend or Harold or right. Lloyd because... A, for a lot of people, it took a while, it takes a while to get there. Yes. And you get that, like, you audition or you don't get on and you're like, oh, whatever, fuck UCB, fuck right. Bagnet, whatever. But instead it's just, oh, okay, am I doing other stuff? Am I doing comedy right. elsewhere? Yeah, you get worried. It's easy to get stuck into that. Like you, you, and especially if you make friends at a certain theater and then your friends have shows and they put you in their show, you put, you put them in your show. It's very easy to get swallowed up by this vacuum of one theater and you kind of forget you know, I think it almost takes people to invite you to their shows at other theaters. And then you go and you're like, oh, this place is kind of nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then like, oh, you want to play in this show? And you're like, yeah, sure. They're like, oh, the stage is kind of nice. You yeah. Know? And then like, it, it, uh, I think that opens your eyes when you have friends at different theaters and you get invited to different shows. Yes. But it's very easily easy to get stuck. Oh, yeah. I didn't go to place. the bit until like uh, Dan Hodap and Natasha Rothman right. would do their show. And right. I'd be like, okay. Oh, right. this is great. Right. I would not have come here. Okay. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think similar to me, it was uh, Keisha. Keisha was on a house team mm-hmm. there. And Keisha's like, oh, come see my show. I was like, yeah, of course. And then uh, I had a good friend, Julia Morales, who was on a house team. They were actually on a team together. But yeah, it was definitely people inviting me to see their shows there. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And even with me, like, I, I did the whole UCB thing. And then I think one thing, too, I think people think people who are on house teams are, like, special in the sense of, like, Oh, you know, it's, it's you don't get it because you guys audition and get on. It's like people audition. I mean, you take the cake in, <laughs> in auditions, Curtis. And I think too, like when you hear how many times because I think you audition like nine, seven, nine or nine ten, times, nine somewhere ten around times. there. Yeah. When when I hear that, how many times you audition and I see you on stage, it's always like it's insane because you're so talented. So it's like. Did you just get really good one day? Or, like, were they just not seeing this all along? You know? But I always say to people, like, Jimmy Fallon had to audition nine times for SNL. Right. So you don't really know. I have to compare you to Jimmy Fallon, Curtis. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) No, Jimmy, I like Jimmy. Some people hate on Jimmy. I like like Jimmy. Yeah, Morgan Phillips auditioned even more. But there is that thing of... I love Morgan. I I think I probably could have got on... Yeah. Way, way earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like, you know, end, end of the road, or not end of the road, but like where I am no, now. What's wrong? Are you saying <laughs> Yes. <I'm, laughs> this is my last testament. No. But looking back at where I am now, it's like, oh, I'm glad that not being on a team made me make my own teams, make my own opportunities, do things that I might not have done, like yeah. do a bunch of other weird shows or like, you know, shows that like Cusick and that kind of thing. Right, right. Where I might not have done them. If I had already been on a team. Right. Yeah. And I think people like, it's so funny. Like, I, even now, I'll see people on like Facebook and stuff and comment on Twitter, mm-hmm. Twitter and stuff. They're always like, you know, oh, Triple Crown Show. Or they're like, oh, Creek Show. And I, I remember like, before I was on a house team, mm-hmm. I loved those shows. Because it was kind of like, that's where, you, where else could you perform at anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I think people are really into this whole like, you know, 
they're just I don't know. I, I think people want they or they feel like they deserve things way too soon. Yeah, with the doing shows going back to the like the triple crown thing. That I think it was on on coworkers. I remember Paul Laudiero saying, uh, I don't remember. Maybe it was me, him, and Luke talking about like him doing shows before coming to New York and just how much doing a hundred shows in front of sometimes terrible audiences right. really like built him into like, oh, yeah. you can just take the stage and take the stage. Yeah, yeah. we've all. I mean, I mean, I hope. I know we. I know you have. I know we have. But like. If you're going to be an improviser, you've got to do a show in front of, like, two people. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. You know, where, like, the only audience is the other team performing. You know what I mean? But, like, you just make yourselves laugh. I've def- we've all had those shows where it's, like, there's just no one here. Yeah. And those are some of the best shows because you're just like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Because there's no one here to impress, really. <laughs> that one person. And I'm like, hey, I give them a hell of a show. And then you don't feel any pressure and you just kind of go off. Almost like when you're in practice and there's mm-hmm. no one there. And you have these great heralds and there's no one to ever see it but your coach. That was Ray Cordova. Finally, here's Lydia. I asked her about hosting the jam. Her final Herald team, Grandma's Ashes, which became a weekend team, hosted the jam for a long time. A jam is a show where anyone can show up, put their name in a bucket, and everyone gets to do a short set along with veteran improvisers, the hosts of the jam. We just wanted people to feel a part of. Like, I think it was more about community than it was about getting better at improv. Like, it really was just, like, let's make everyone feel a part of. Yeah. And it was really, really special. Like, it just felt very special. Like, we were doing something special and that it was meaning a lot to people. And that I I think... Not, I don't want to get, like, too emotional. But I think, like, a lot of... Like, I think there's a lot of magical geniuses in this community who maybe have felt not so magical and not so genius in mm-hmm. our lives. You know, I think we, I, I, all, all humans everywhere struggle. Right. But I think if we are drawn to this weird art form, like we're probably kind of weird in a really special way. Um, but to feel like to feel outside in your life and then find something that fits I think it can be doubly heartbreaking to feel outside of the thing that fits. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, this makes me feel like me. This yeah. is a thing that excites me, that I'm passionate about. And then to feel on the outside looking in of that is like so painful because you finally found the thing that makes you feel good. And so to be a, to just have everybody kind of be a big old hug, <laughs> like a big stage and a big hug. Yeah. It's like, great. Yeah, we're all a part. It doesn't matter like where you fall in some sort of status mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's just like, no, we're all a part of this thing. We're all doing this cool thing. And I feel like that has been like a shift in the community as a whole over the past yeah. like maybe five years of with like jams and with more kind of levels of different places to do improv yeah. other than UCB and like different levels of Harold and Lloyd of it isn't like, oh, you're on Harold. Oh, you're on the weekend. It's just kind of like, oh, hey, you're you're on that team. So you get to do a show. What other shows are you doing? What else are you writing? All that other yeah. stuff. So that I hope more of that. It's less def- it's less defined than it was of the oh, I'm not on a team. I'm not on a team. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. And also having not been on a team for a long time, it's like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, and I want any, to be on a team. <laughs> any feeling about that sucking is completely justified. Yeah. But also it is more open and more accepting. And I think ha- feeling like you are a part of something, whether you're, not, whether you're not getting in the door that you're knocking on, but you still are a part of, you know, mm-hmm. the neighborhood or whatever yeah. is good. Like it can, 
if you can reframe it for yourself as a challenge of like, okay, well, what, like, what about me? Like, what do I want aside from this one goal? And what do I find funny? And how do I want to be a part of this? Because I, I think that is something that it is. It's just so open, right? It's like, oh, we've got character classes. We've got like, there's all these cool things that you can do that is, that are yours. That mm-hmm. challenge yourself to find your sense of humor. Like, we're all everyone is unique and special and in this for a reason. And so it's like, cool, find your own. Path. It's a classic like sh- thing that everybody says. Like Abby and Alana were never on a hair yeah, yeah, yeah. but they weren't. And look at them, you know. And that's everywhere, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just like there's a million ways to get to where you want to go. Like hopefully you can feel as much joy and support as you go get right. that way. Yeah. And the, you, there's no reason we can't be a part of a community or feel support, supported just because you're not like checking off the boxes yeah. that some other people have checked off. And the other half of that, like Abby and Alana thing, is that the important part isn't like whether or not they were on a team. It's that they met each other in this community and like and look how many people they've employed in this community exactly you know I mean I feel like that's all of our dreams is to write a show and then hire all our friends you know so uh, yeah it's, it's so special yeah that was Lydia Hensler being on a house team is a mixed blessing the process to get on one can be long and it can feel arbitrary and being on one can be maddening and getting cut from one can be devastating on the other hand If you support the people on your team and if they support you, it can be incredible. But being on a house team is only a small part of being an improviser, which is an even smaller part of being a comedian. Don't decide that you have to climb the long ladder to being on a house team just because it's there. Decide whether it's worth it and check back in with yourself every once in a while. If it's something you want, then go for it joyously and confidently. Oh, two last things before I end the episode. First, I wasn't quite sure where to put this in the episode, but I think it's something that should be said. If you're put on a house team, or even if you just made an indie team or practice group, have a talk at the beginning about boundaries, whether there's anything people are not okay with during performances or practices. Some people, for instance, hate getting picked up. Some people can't pick up others due to a medical issue, or so on. Some people don't like being touched. Some people don't mind. Start your time on a team off by letting anyone just say, without any fear of judgment, and with the full knowledge that everyone will respect those boundaries, whether they have any boundaries that people shouldn't cross. Okay. Second, I created a Patreon. I spend a little bit of money each month to host the episodes of Improv Beat by Beat. I spend a lot of time creating each episode. Too much time, really. I've kind of eased off on releasing episodes as often as I've been working more on other projects, but... I'm going to keep releasing episodes semi-regularly, hopefully like once or twice a month. Anyway, I've set up a Patreon at patreon.com slash actuallycurtis. If you'd like to throw a dollar or two my way to say thank you, then I appreciate it. If not, don't worry about it. I'm not going to put any exclusive content up just for subscribers. I'm not going to sell improv beat-by-beat t-shirts or anything like that. There is absolutely no reward for you supporting me on my Patreon. So... Really, I'm just going to use it to hopefully change this podcast from something that I spend lots of time on and lose money on to something I spend lots of time on and maybe break even on. Something like that. Again, patreon.com actually, Curtis. If you can, great. If you can't, no worries. That was episode 16, House Teams. I can't overstate how important it is just to be a nice person on a house team. That more than anything else, results in a great team. 
please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Feel free to throw me a dollar at patreon.com slash actuallycurtis. And if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. That's C-U-R-T-I-S-R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. Thanks to everyone who is part of this episode. Kevin Mullaney. Ray Cordova. Uh, Liz Noth. I'm Lindsay Calloran. Hi, I'm Jesse Lee. Devin Ritchie. Hi, I'm Lily Dew. Kevin Himes. I'm Morgan Phillips. Uh, Joey Price. Hi, Lydia Hensler. Alex Dixon. Sebastian Canelli. James Dwyer. And I'm Curtis Rutherford.